Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're thankful for a beautiful day. And we want to wish all of our mothers a very happy Mother's Day. It's been a great day for them and the opportunity to honor them for all that they do and have done and how much we appreciate the love, the support, and encouragement that we have benefited from them down through the years. We're grateful that we have visitors with us tonight. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're always glad to have people that come our way. And from, and from time to time, we have those who come and are looking for a church home. And if that be your case tonight, we would love to have you come and join hands with us as we desire to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. We're gonna be looking at Ephesians 5.25 tonight as we think about Jesus and the church. Last week in our study, we spent some time and talked about the church and the relationship that Jesus enjoys with the church. And tonight we wanna to continue that study. And as we begin our study tonight, I want to emphasize the fact that the church is a very important institution. What makes it so important is reflected in the fact that Jesus promised to build it. Not only did he promise to build the church, but he purchased it with his own blood. And what a great privilege it is to be a member of the church, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a New Testament Christian, to simply be a follower of the Lord, to be a disciple of Christ. And tonight as we look a little bit more fully at our study, Jesus and the church, I want to begin by talking about the church is the bride of Christ, the bride of Jesus. And I think that this concept underscores the close-knit relationship that we enjoy with Jesus. There are a lot of figures that are used in the New Testament to describe the relationship that Jesus enjoys with the church. When we think about the bride of Christ. We're talking about a very intimate relationship. And I believe that this underscores the relationship that we have to Jesus. I want to begin by spending some time in talking about the consummation of our relationship to Jesus. What is it that affords us the privilege of being a part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ? Well, I believe that there are a number of things that we do in order to become a child of God. There are some steps that lead us into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you think about the analogy that is used in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul draws an analogy between the relationship that exists between the husband and wife and Christ and the church. Well, by a similar token, as we think about what is it that puts us in Christ and makes us a part of the bride of Christ? During the earthly ministry of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial is important in our relationship to the Lord. We have to be willing to lay aside our own interest and will and become a follower of Jesus. And then add to that a deep-seated belief and conviction that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that is, the Son of God. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus would say, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the idea there is that unless we believe that Jesus is the divine son of God, then we will die in sin. And Jesus would say in John chapter 8, that if we die in sin, where he is, we cannot be. I want to further emphasize the importance of believing in Jesus as we think about the promise that Jesus made to build the church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus promised to build the church, he did so in light of that great confession made by Simon Peter. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the one that we are to believe in. And then we are instructed to repent of sin. That is, we give up a life of sin. We die to the love and the practice of sin. Jesus would say in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just as Peter did and others in the long ago. The eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, confessed that he believed Jesus to be the Son of the living God. And then we are immersed into Christ. We're baptized into Christ in order that our sins might be forgiven. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now when we obey the gospel, that is when we demonstrate faith in the Lord, repent of our sins, confess his name, and are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, what happens? Well, the Bible tells us that we are then married to Christ, Romans chapter seven, verse four. We are married to Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, verse seven, John pictures the Son of God coming for his bride. And he said, the bride has made herself ready. We make ourselves ready by obeying the gospel, becoming one with Christ in that watery grave of baptism. Now, what about the steps that put us into Christ and make us a part of the bride of Christ? Are all of those steps essential? Can you leave one out? I would submit unto you that each and every step in God's plan of salvation is imperative. There are a lot of people in the religious world today, they believe that you need to have faith in Jesus. They would acknowledge the importance of repentance. They would even go so far as to say you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. But then when it comes to New Testament baptism, they say, well, baptism is not essential. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's a token of your salvation. It's symbolic. Some would say it's not essential. It's not mandatory. It's not necessary. But Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. Peter said on Pentecost day, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Why are we to repent and be baptized? So that we might enjoy the remission of sins? Why is it essential for me to be baptized into Christ? Well, because that's where the blood of Christ resides. In other words, it resides in Jesus' death. John 19, 34, when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he shed his blood. When I'm baptized into Christ, I thereby contact the blood of Christ. 
Now, sometimes people will ask the question, well, why is it that you don't baptize babies or infants? Well, because New Testament baptism is called a believer's baptism. Jesus said, he that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. When you're baptized into Christ, God adds you to the church. That is, he puts you in the ecclesia, the community of the saved. And when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy all spiritual blessings which reside in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they, they, they believe that this book that we call the Bible is inspired of God. As a matter of fact, they believe that this book ought to guide or regulate our lives. But many, unfortunately, when it comes to what the Bible teaches about the church or about baptism into Christ, they have failed to come to a full understanding. And so our goal, our desire, is to simply call people back to what the Bible teaches. As Peter would say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So when I'm baptized into Christ, I become a part of the bride of Christ, collectively speaking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 13, Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Somebody asked the question, well, how many bodies are there? Paul said in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So when I'm baptized into Christ, God then adds me to the church. And the reason I need to be in the church, what makes it so essential that I become a part of the bride of Christ, is realized in Ephesians 5.23 where Paul said, speaking of Christ, he is the savior of the body. And the terms body and church are used interchangeably in scripture. They designate one and the same, that is, the church, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We looked in our last study at some of the names that are used, collectively speaking, to identify the bride of Christ. But what I want to emphasize is, that when we're baptized into Christ, that union takes place. There is the consummation of that relationship. We are then married to Christ. But then there's a second thing I want you to see as it relates to being a part of the bride of Christ. And that is our conduct in Christ. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul again uses the marriage relationship. And he talks about that intimate relationship that exists between a husband and wife. And the intimate relationship that exists between the church and Jesus. Sometimes people don't understand the importance of being a member of the church. They don't understand the intimate relationship that Jesus enjoys with the church. But when we are baptized into Christ and become a part of the bride of Christ, there are some things that relate to marriage that we can look at and appreciate and apply to our relationship to the Lord. First of all, when you were baptized into Christ, you were committing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you, when you died to the love and the practice of sin and were immersed in a watery grave of baptism, Paul said, you rose to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You, in effect, said, I am committing my life, I am consecrating my life 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Mark 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What about committing our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not the case that when we sign on to become New Testament Christians, when we obey the gospel, that we're saying we are in this thing for the long haul. We're in it until death. When you got married, those of you who are married, when you entered into that marital relationship, that very intimate relationship, you did so with the intent till death do us part. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, What therefore God has joined together, let not men put asunder. That means that we're going to stay together come what may. That same principle applies when, it, when, when we talk about being members of the church. We're saying we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be faithful to him come what may. Good times, bad times, joys, frustrations, highs and lows. Whatever we face in this life, we're in this thing until death. So commitment, that is paramount. And then there's a second thing. It's the idea of being chaste, free from carnality. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 2, and by the way, one of the problems that existed among those who were living in Corinth, particularly those who belonged to the body of Christ, was carnality. Paul said, look, I espoused you to one husband. What what was he saying there? They belonged to the Lord. That's what we're saying to every person who is a believer. That is, to every person who is a disciple of the Lord. You belong to him. As Paul would say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body and your spirit. Why is that? Because you're God's. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. So, as somebody who belongs to God, you are to live a chaste life. Paul said, I espoused you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Think for a minute, if you would, about the impact the world has on the church. There is a real challenge that we face as members of the church. The world filters into our lives and we become sometimes carnally minded. In the husband-wife relationship, what makes that relationship work is trust, faithfulness, purity, in the sense that we're true to one another. By the same token, as it relates to Christ and the church, we're trustworthy, faithful, reliable. We're striving to live a life of purity. Do we fall short sometimes? Absolutely. We're not always what we ought to be. We're not always, we're not always where we want to be in our spiritual walk with the Lord. But we're making an effort to live a life of godliness. We're we're trying to do what John said, walk in the light with the full assurance that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing us from all sin according to 1 John 1, 7. So this idea of living a chaste 
life. There's a third thing, and that is contentment. Now, again, I think about the husband-wife relationship. You know why a lot of marriages fail? Because of the green grass syndrome. You know what that, you know what that is? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have, they have gone into marriage saying we're going to be in this thing until, until death and then after time goes by, the newness wears off, what happens? They start looking over the fence. And the next thing you know, they're not true to their mate. Well, in Christ, when, when we look at Christianity and what Christianity has to offer, as opposed to the world, we find a sense of contentment and peace. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can, we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, we shall therewith be content. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul said, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. When we obey the gospel, everything that we need spiritually speaking is in Christ. We are endowed with every spiritual blessing known to man according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Everything you need, it's in Christ Jesus. Now what the world is trying to do and what Satan is trying to do through the world is to say, look, you can't really be happy living a Christian life. You can't find contentment and joy and peace living for the Lord. There are a lot of folks that buy in to that type of thinking. Sadly, sometimes members of the body of Christ, they are lured back into the world. And yet, what we have to understand is everything we need, it's in Christ. When we obeyed the gospel, all of our spiritual blessings were realized. And as a child of God, we have come to understand what our true purpose in life is. I want to ask you this question. What's your purpose in life? If someone were to ask you, what is the purpose for your existence? What would you say? Why are you here? What are you supposed to be doing? What's life all about? There are a lot of, there are a lot of people that if you were to ask them candidly, what is life all about? I promise you, they couldn't answer it. They don't know what it's all about. They, they think that it's about personal gratification, satisfaction. I, I will freely grant we all want to be gratified. We want to find a sense of satisfaction, contentment, and peace. But I, I promise you, it's not in the world. And there have been some people in the body of Christ, they have obeyed the gospel they enjoyed that cleansing power of the blood of Christ and then they went back into the world. And they're not happy. They may think they're happy, but they're really not. And so content in Christ, understanding that the world has nothing to offer us. I understand the devil makes the world look attractive. John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. So, the idea is that we understand, in Christ, we are thoroughly blessed. 
the greatest message that we have to share with people in this community is that in Jesus Christ, you can be content. You can be happy. You can live a life of joy. And there's some, there, look, there are some people in the church, they have forgotten what a great message we have. They have the idea that people aren't interested. Some say if you're too poor, you can't be interested in the gospel. Others would say if you're rich, you can't be interested in the gospel. Well, the Bible does say that the common people heard Jesus gladly. I don't care if you're rich or poor, black, white, educated, uneducated. It doesn't matter. Every person has the same basic intrinsic need, and that's to be in Christ and to live a life of contentment and happiness and joy. If we were to go in this neighborhood and talk to people, how many people do you think would say, I'm, 100, I'm 110% satisfied and contented with my life? Well, as a child of God, as a member of the body of Christ, as a part of the bride of Christ, we ought to be content. We ought to find contentment in Christ. And then there's a fourth thing I would share with you, and that's communication. Every good marriage that I know about, there's communication that exists between the husband and wife. There are some marriages that fall apart because the husband and wife do not communicate. They don't spend time together. If we want to have a working relationship with the Lord, we've got to spend time with him, don't we? What does that mean? It means, number one, I've got to listen to him. That is, listen to the Lord. How do I do that? By opening this book that we call the Bible, by reading and studying and meditating on the truth of God. How am I going to know what Jesus would have me to do and how he would have me to live and how he would have me to act in this world if I don't know what he says? The Bible from one perspective, is a love letter. Remember when you were dating? It may be that you're dating now. What'd you do? Well, a long time ago, folks wrote notes. They don't do that now. They text. They send emails and whatnot. Well, all I'm trying to say is that if you were dating somebody or you were married to somebody and separated by some particular thing. Maybe you were out of town or away on a job or task or whatever. And a note came in the mail or they handed you a note. What do you want to do? Read that thing. Why? Because that person is the apple of your eye. In other words, you want to hear everything they have to say. Shouldn't we be that eager to read and study and think about the truth of God? To read what the Lord has said to us? And then what about prayer? Should we not pray to the Lord? Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not faint. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So what do you have? You have open communication lines. We have, on the one hand, the Lord speaking to us. On the other hand, we're speaking to the Lord. That's what makes for a happy, healthy marriage, spiritually and physically. All right, there's a second thing I want you to think about as we talk about Jesus and the church. And that is the church is supposed to behave like Jesus. When we talk about being a part of the bride of Christ, that 
aspect that is shared with us in the scriptures designates our relationship. Well, this really emphasizes our role model. What is my supreme example? Who is my supreme example in life? Jesus is, isn't he? When Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I can just see the Apostle Paul thinking about trying to live a Christian life. And Paul is saying, the person that I am patterning my life after is Jesus. Peter, who had a very close-knit relationship with the Lord, would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are to follow in his steps. That is, we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Why? Because he is our supreme example. When it comes to behaving like Jesus, there are some things that maybe we ought to think about. I want to begin by saying, first of all, the church is to be spiritually minded like Jesus. What's happened in our day and time to being spiritually minded? In Luke chapter 2, we read of Jesus at the tender age of 12. He had gone to Jerusalem with his family members to observe the feast of Passover. And when you read the narrative, you find out that Jesus stayed behind. His parents left. They were headed back home. They made it a day's journey out realized he wasn't in their company, and so they went back to Jerusalem, just like any family would do, having recognized the child had been left behind. So when they get back to Jerusalem, where is Jesus? Luke said he was in the temple, sitting among the teachers. And what was he doing? He was conversing with them, wasn't he? And the text tells us they were astonished at his understanding. His mother, I can just imagine a mama that has left only to realize that a child has been left behind. She was anxious or worried about her child. So when she finds him, she questions him. And here's what Jesus said. Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? At the age of 12, Jesus was interested in his father's business. Young people can be involved in the work of the church. They can be spiritually minded just as those who are more mature in the faith can. But what does it mean to be spiritually minded in the Lord? It means to understand that the work of the church is the business of the Lord. To be a part of the church is to be a part of the Father's business because it was his design. The church exists today because of the manifold wisdom of Almighty God. What do you think, if I were to ask you to, tonight, what's the greatest threat to the church in the 21st century, what would you say? If you could take out a sheet of paper and just write down one thing that you believe is the single greatest threat 
to the church, what would you say? What would you write down? Here's what I think, and this is just my opinion. I think the greatest threat to the church in the 21st century is the world. It's the world. Things haven't changed. The world threatened the early church in the first century. It threatens our existence in the 21st century. Now, how does that apply to us? In other words, how, how does the world impact or impede our service for the cause of Christ? Let, let me put it this way. Think about your life and prioritizing things that are important to you in life. If you were to say, okay, this is what's important in my life, my family, my job, my hobbies, the Lord, etc. What would be at the apex of your list? What would you say is number one? Would you say it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness? When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that word first means before anything else. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. We are to be spiritually minded people. And I think to some extent, we have sold, we have sold ourselves a false concept. In many respects, we have told ourselves we're all in when it comes to Christianity. But really, in truth, we offer the Lord piecemeal Christianity. We're not really all in. We're not really all seeking first the kingdom of God. And the reason is because Jesus is not the hub of life. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. In verse 4 he said, And Christ, now listen to him, who is our life. Paul said, look, Christ, he is our life. He is everything. He is the hub of my existence. Everything in life revolves around him. Does everything in your life revolve around the Lord? Is he the hub of your life? And your job, your family, your recreational pursuits, everything, does that revolve around the Lord? Is he at the center of your life? Or has something supplanted him? How can you tell whether or not you're spiritually minded? Well, let me just ask some basic questions. How often do you read your Bible? Do you read the Bible daily? The psalmist said he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. Do you do that? How much time do you spend in prayer to God? Do you talk to him in the morning? you talk to him in the afternoon? you talk to him at night? The psalmist said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. The psalmist had regular times to pray to Almighty God. Jesus emphasized the importance of prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. In Colossians 4, 2, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then, 
What about Bible study and worship? Wonder why some people didn't come back tonight. Wonder why the same ones never come back at night. You think there's a correlation there between being spiritually minded and carnally minded, worldly minded? I mean, we can cut it any way we want to cut it. We can slice it any way you want to slice it. We can say whatever we want to say. The bottom line is the truth speaks for itself. You're either all in or you're all out. Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either putting me first or what? Being spiritually minded. That's what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ and to behave like Christ. And then secondly, what about being submissive to Jesus? The Lord demonstrated a submissive life. The Hebrew writer said, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became unto all them that obey him the author of eternal salvation. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was submissive to God the Father. What is it he wants of us? Expects of us. Submission to his will. Did Jesus not say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Did Jesus not say, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven? Did John not write in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, by saying, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city? We want to go to heaven, don't we? Yes. We expect to go to heaven. Well, if we're going to go to heaven, what do we have to be? Submissive to God. We have to be submissive to the Lord. Whatever the Lord wants us to do, that's what we want to do. And then there's a, a third thing. We have to serve like Jesus. We serve or minister to others in the name of Jesus. Everything that we do is to bring honor and glory to Almighty God. There are a lot of ways that we can help others, reach out to others, and extend acts of kindness and benevolence to other people. Sometimes people engage in certain acts of benevolence, and they do that anonymously. And I understand the reasoning process. They're not trying to bring glory to themselves. But if we do something in the name of Jesus, we don't need to do that anonymously. And the reason is because we're trying to bring honor and glory to Christ, to God, to the church. In other words, the church exists to bring honor and glory to God. When we minister in the name of the Lord, what are we doing? We're bringing honor to God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you feed the hungry, give something to drink to the thirsty, put clothes on the back of somebody that has no clothes, when you take in a stranger and visit the sick, you are ministering in the name of Jesus. That's what it means to behave like Jesus. And I would hope and pray that all of us are involved in acts of benevolence, doing what we can. And then fourthly, we ought to be seeking the lost like Jesus. 
Jesus himself said in Luke 19, 10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Could I ask you tonight, when is the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you talked to somebody in your family or a friend or a classmate, co-worker, or just somebody out on the street, at the gas station, at the grocery store, wherever? When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? If, you th if, you th if the Apostle Paul were alive today and he happened to be living here in Olive Branch, you think anybody would know about Jesus? You think anybody would know anything about the church that Jesus died and purchased with his blood? I think, I think the answer would be you better believe it. We have to be involved in seeking the lost. Why? Because that's what the Lord wants us to do. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We are his hands, his feet, and his mouth. I'm going to close tonight. I didn't get to my last point, and I really didn't expect to. But be that as it may, I want to close by asking this question. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really love him? Did you know that he really loves you? That Jesus loved, loved you to the extent that he came and died for your sins? Did you know that Jesus wants you to go to heaven? That God the Father would not have any to be saved, that he would not have any to be lost? but that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, could I encourage you, if you're not a New Testament Christian, obey the gospel. Do it tonight. Be baptized. Let God add you to the church. And then just be faithful. And the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight, maybe your behavior has not been becoming of a child of God. Listen, we're family members. We can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We support one another. We'd be happy to do that for you tonight as we stand and sing.